I don't know if you've ever had a verse in Scripture that, that seemed to say something amazing, but you couldn't quite figure it out, and you stare at it a while. I want you to use that with me. Look at this, this passage. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And listen to this line real carefully, uh, because I've always looked at it and never, never really grasped it, and I still don't know that I do, but I'm going to try to explain what I think it means at this point. The Spirit himself... The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit, capital S at the beginning, small s, that's your spirit, that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you and bears witness with your spirit. You really are God's child. You get that? I find it amazing. I don't really know what that means. It sounds incredible. We'll talk about it in just a second, but let me remind you of a couple truths here. You became a child of God when you were immersed and your sins were forgiven. Amen? Right? That's what happened. You, you were immersed, as Acts 2.38 says. You became a child of God. Your sins forgiven. At that, at that time, God adds you to his church, and so you become part of this family. Not just this family, but everyone who's done this. We're all related. And then he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you from that moment. That is the time God chooses to move himself into your life. Because unlike Old Testament believers... One of the neat things about New Covenant that I'm so grateful we live on this side of the cross is we receive, all of us, men and women, everyone who responds, receives God's presence in His Holy Spirit. You believe that, church? How many of you are led by the Spirit right now? How many of you have the Holy Spirit of God? Raise your hand. Good. See, raising your hands. That's one sign. We do this, right? No. no. And one of the benefits, stare at this a little longer, would you? One of the things that Holy Spirit inside of you does is he bears witness with your spirit. That part of you, that part of you, your inner man, he bears witness. You know what bear witness means? Here's a slide for that. He gives you evidence and proof. The Holy Spirit is in you to give you some proof. You're a child. He doesn't want you just to be his child. He wants you to know you're his child. He wants you to know it and not just think it or hope it. I don't want to hear that anymore. Well, I hope he's... No, no, it's evidence. The Holy Spirit is giving you evidence. He's bearing witness with your spirit. He is giving you assurance, especially, y'all, we're going to discover that today, especially in the time when you're prone to doubt it. And maybe you're one of those people who never, you never doubt it. You, from the day you were a Christian to the day you died, there's no doubts, there's no questions, there's no perplexity, there's no moments when you just wonder. No, nope, you've had, well, if that's you, the Holy Spirit's doing his job really good, and you're listening. But for the rest of us, he's got a job in here. I think it's supposed to be, he's enabling you to feel. I don't want you just to think that's an emotion, but it is emotion. You Church of Christ people, listen to me. You should feel that you're a child of God. You should be able to feel that. That's one of the jobs the Holy Spirit... Now back up a screen if you would, and let's just stare at this again. The Holy Spirit bears witness, gives you testimony inside of you for your inner person that you may know you are God's child. You're His. He wants you to know it. Why? 
I'll go ahead to the question slide. I'm directing the slides here for some reason. Why did God see fit for this to be one of the functions? Why did he want a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week testimony inside of you to bear witness that you are a child of God? Do you think that down through the ages God knew that his people would struggle with this some? Do you think that he knew that we would go through that time of second-guessing in our lives sometimes? There'd be moments where you, I'm just not so sure that I'm really God's child, that he really cares about me, that all this stuff that's happening to me that doesn't disqualify me. So, do you think you'll ever go through a season of, of bad performance where you just don't, you just trip and you fall and you trip and you fall and you go, man, there's no way God could love me, kind of like Peter did? You think there's moments when fallenness falls on you? And you go through a series of things, you're like, if there really is God, he wouldn't make me do all this. I wouldn't experience all this stuff. And somehow I just start to, to second guess and doubt that I'm really God's child, that he really loves me. And, and because of that, you need something living inside of you that where at 3 o'clock in the morning, when you can't depend on anybody to affirm you, God's already got his person inside of you all the time, making sure you know you're his. What kind of God do we serve that knows that stuff? He doesn't just want you as his child. He wants you to know you're his child. And never have to go doubting. What kind of God is he? It's not just enough to sing me a rousing verse of sing and be happy and that be it. It's not just enough for me to say, well, I think I've done all this. That spiritual afib of doubt will start affecting us in some ways. We need a testimony. We need something that's within us, but still from outside of us. Something objective that's not just my emotion, but certainly affects them. I need something at any moment that when I'm going through this and I start to second guess, it starts to argue with me and be an exhibit A in an argument like it's a court case and make me know it. I know people in here who've struggled with this all their lives and you need to hear this today because this is part of God's good news and he wants it to be good and he wants you to know it, right? Follow the fours. That's what I say about Paul, F-O-R, four. This is when he uses the word for in our translation, it could be because he's given you some evidence. And so here's the question I have about this How does the Spirit do this? What kind of evidence does he issue to my inner person to make me know when, when maybe I don't know, but I can know? How, how does he do this? And I want you to join me, and if you've got this with you, it was read a moment ago, we're going to read it again. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That's Romans 8, 12. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Let me ask you this, do you hate sin Do you hate sin? Good answer, whoever said that. Sin is what doesn't belong in the life of the believer. Some, look at these two pictures. Some things don't belong 
In a Christian life, a child of God, this stuff over here doesn't belong. We have the Holy Spirit of God, and His job is to make us holy. And anything in our lives that is unholy or takes us away from that is something that doesn't belong. And God says, by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body. The only way you can kill sin is if the Holy Spirit is in you. He makes you to recognize things that are not belonging here. He makes you to identify them and label them and deal with them. Sometimes it's by repentance. If you're a person who you can repent to God, you say, God, today what I did, this right here and this right here, I recognize that doesn't belong in me. It's not that you win over sin. It's that you recognize it and you battle it. That's a sign the Holy Spirit gives you. You are a child of God. You won't hate sin otherwise. What do you do in your life with your sin? Do you recognize it? Do you see it? And then when you see it, do you deal with it? I have to think this. You know, you look around everybody in this room. Can I tell you, just look around everybody in this room. Everybody in here struggles with sin in their lives. Now, it's forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We've just recognized that in the table. But listen, we still want to get rid of it. We're forgiven, but I'm not, I'm not content and forgiven sin in my life. I don't want sin to be there. I want to attack it. And the Holy Spirit will cause you to attack your sin. And one of the things that you do because of your sin is that you get up on Sunday morning and you make your way to the church. Do you know what the church is? It's an assembly of people who know that we can't handle sin on our own. We got to have some help up in here. We got to have some help. And the way I do it is I gather here. Yes, we're giving praise to God. That's absolutely true. We're worshiping for what he's done. In our, yes, that's absolutely true. But one of the things is this. Unless it's just a habit, a mindless habit, your attendance at church is an indication that you know you can't handle handle sin on your own. And you being here is a witness and a testimony of the Holy Spirit who drove you to be here. There are many other reasons you could have given yourself for not coming, but you chose to be here because you know you need this to attack your sin. So congratulations, church. You are being given evidence of the Holy Spirit that you are a child of God and you belong in this place. Non-Christians. Non-Christians must find this strange. We are going to struggle with our sin till we die. We all have sin struggles. Elders, ministers, yeah, you're thinking how brilliant the preacher is and what a great communicator he is. He must really have his life all together. Well, listen, I might be able to communicate a little, but can I tell you, I have the same struggle with sin. So take your phone out and do a selfie right now. And that person that you just took a picture of, he struggles with sin too. Now, if you're, an, if you're an unbeliever, you might look at this and you think, well, we've got it all together. Look at all these dressed up people. They've got their lives together. No, we're here because we need this as much as anybody. And you might say to yourself, I can't be a Christian because I can't, I can't handle all that sin and I can't get rid of it. Well, welcome to the club. We can't either. That's why we're dependent on what we're doing here. And if you're waiting to get your life all cleaned up before you give it to God, you've got the order wrong. Do you know what you do? You become a child of God. God issues his Holy Spirit, and now you've got something to battle sin because you can't battle sin without God's Holy Spirit. You cannot do it. So quit trying. Quit trying. What you need to overcome your sin is what you're going to get when you finally become a child of God.
But this scares me just a little. It scares me because I think about Christians who've made a peace treaty with their sin. It is so common to them and they've accepted it as part of their life that they no longer look at something that doesn't belong as if not belonging. They just think it's part of my life. And they've decided, well, this is just me, and so, you know, everybody's got their sin, and so you've got this, and I'm, no, listen, no Christian has their sin. A Christian knows that their sin is there, and they're attacking it. They're trying their best to address it and get rid of it. We don't ever make a peace treaty with it and just say, well, I've just got a bad temper, or I've just used bad language, or I'm just impatient, or I'm just hateful, or I'm just unkind. I'm just, I just speak my mind wherever I want. No, 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 you don't do that. You recognize that as sin, and the Holy Spirit won't let you make a peace treaty with it. What happens, though, when you do? What happens when there's Christians who are freely engaging in sin without attacking it anymore? If the Holy Spirit can't motivate you to engage in this battle against sin, I'm seriously concerned. And here's what the Old Testament would say. When you reach a point where you call good bad and bad good, this is bad trouble. And not only that, but there's sacrifices in the Old Testament. This is what you, ac- you sacrifice for in unintentional sins. But there was no sacrifice at all, at all, for people who engaged in intentional sin. I went into this knowing it was sin. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. And it's just going to be me. Well, if there is no sacrifice. What do you do? What do Christians do when the Holy Spirit is nowhere, no longer bearing witness by attacking their sin? I don't know. It scares me. I don't know what to say. Because if you have the Holy Spirit of God, He will make you hate sin, recognize sin, and deal with sin. You may not win. You may fall, and you may fall hard sometimes, but listen, you will get back up and fight. Here's what God is. He's looking down. He's not looking at his people and saying, look at my kid. He's, he whipped this one. He's, he's already over. No, no, no. He's going to look down at you and say, look at that. He got, he got knocked down, and he's back up. Look at my, he's fighting that sin in his life. He may never win it completely, never eradicate it from his life, but he's in the battle. He's fighting it. He's punching it. He's going at it. He is trying to defeat it. That's my boy. That's my girl. Listen, if you are still engaged in the battle it's a sign the Holy Spirit is affirming you as his child that's my boy that's my girl you don't necessarily have to win but if you fight that's the assurance that's not the only thing though this one I admit this next one the second sign of this is a little more difficult For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then he goes to verse 15. For you do not not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. We have witnessed adoption in this church in the last year. We should know what this means. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, I have a daddy, right? That's what Abba means, is my daddy, my, my intimate language with my father that, that I don't have to worry about anybody saying, well, I don't know that I would lead a public prayer saying, Daddy, I, you don't need to lead a public prayer, but you better have some times where he's that close to you. You better have some time where he's that intimate with you. 
Because that's one of the signs the Spirit gives you. One of the things the Spirit gives you is affirmation. Notice this. He says, Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. He doesn't say we pray. He says we cry. We cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. If I were to put this in the most simplest terms, I'd say because he's the reason why from within you that you pray. But you know, that's that's a simplistic way of saying it. Enter here all the sermons about you need to pray more. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Put that in there. Put in there you need to address God as Father. Yes, put in there that you need to have a closet. You can go shut the door and pray. Put all that in there. Put all the mnemonic devices about what you should pray for in there. Adoration and consecration and thanksgiving and sanctification. Put all that in there. But that's not what this is, really. This is a cry. Exhibit A was that you'll fight your sin. Exhibit B is that you'll go to God for him being your father and you'll crawl up in his lap and let him embrace you and you'll find your affirmation there. The Spirit wants to infirm you, he wants to, he wants to confirm you and affirm you by an internal drive within you. This longing, you have this childlike need, and I'm going to be talking about this. Listen, if, you're, if your life is going fine right now, and there's nothing wrong with it, this is going to sound a little foreign to you. I'm going to ask you to tap into some memory stuff or, 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 or something like that to make you understand what this means. This is not just standing before God and making sure I pray and have a discipline of praying to God every day. This is those moments in your life where there's nothing else that will work but to go into the presence of God and Feel his fatherhood, right? And to know that he is my father and I'm his child. It's a cry from deep within you and nothing else will suffice. And no one has to tell you and you don't have to discipline yourself. You go right into his presence. This is not our daily conversations, although that's included. We got to remember, I need to give my five or ten minutes of prayer as I drive to work or whatever. All that counts. I'm not saying it doesn't. But there are times when you, when the Holy Spirit within you says, It's been too long, and you've got to find time, and I'm driving you into the presence of God, and we're gonna, we're gonna absolutely with abs, with total abandon and with confidence and boldness, we're gonna go into his throne room. Like George Bailey, and it's a wonderful life. When he had that question about the pharmacy, he didn't know who to ask, but he's gonna, his dad, but he's in a meeting. He's in a meeting at the savings and loan with that mean old grouchy guy. It don't matter. This is important. And he budges in there. And everybody says, you shouldn't go in there. That's, that's, that's a board meeting. I don't care. That's where my dad is. And I need to talk to him. You ever felt that? Anybody ever done? Am I, does this make sense to anybody? I don't know what would cause you to have to, but Maybe it's been too long since you crawled up into his lap. And I know for men in here, this is going to sound weird. Like, I'm going to handle it myself. No, you really can't. You barge into heaven, you climb up in his lap, and you let him put his arms around you and whisper in you, you are my kid. 
Maybe it's the suffering of verse 17. Something in your life is amiss and you are suffering and it's hurting and it's very, and there's no psychologist, there's no medicine, there's no, there's no doctor you can go to. The only one who can really help anything is to crawl up in the lap of God and let him tell you it's going to be okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's the fallen world has affected you, right? That's what verses 18 and 19 seem to suggest. There's insecurity and there's anxiety in your life and there's such an angst in you and you don't know what else to do with it and there's no one else to turn to and there God says, by his Holy Spirit that he placed in you. He drives you to himself like a magnet, right? There's another school shooting and the ugly world is rearing its head and the world is going insane. What are you going to do? You read those Psalms about God being the, about covering us and being, being the rock and the cleft of the rock and covering us with the shadow of his wings. You know, that stuff really matters. Those were moments in the psalmist's life when that's the only thing that sufficed. Is that still available today? Yes, it is. You don't have to find a time. You don't have to make yourself. You run to God like a daddy to find his embrace and feel the words when he says, you're mine, it's okay, I've got you. It's a raw prayer, not like the prayers you hear here. And nothing wrong with the prayers you hear here. The public prayers we offer here are verbal and audible and corporate but your prayers, your prayers should be about your sinful thoughts that still plague your mind and you wish you were free of. Your temptations that are still dragging you down when you want to be free of it. It should be about your enemies. Don't name your enemies when you're leading prayer up here. But when you're leading prayer at home or in this kind of way, take the names of your enemies with you and change your heart in that prayer. But it has to be with God. Or maybe it's your insecurities or your frustrations, all the things that are happening. Or maybe you have envy and you, don't, you know you shouldn't have or you have anger that you shouldn't have or an unforgiving spirit that you've got to get rid of or you'll never get draw close to God again or some kind of wrong within you draws you to be a, against God and you need to be honest and bear with God because of all the things that are going on in your life. That stuff shouldn't be put up here, but it should be taken to God. I'll, there's a word for this. It appears in verse 18. Uh, this, this verse is very important, Right? I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Two questions. One, what is the glory to be revealed? What is the glory that's to be revealed in this verse? You see that in Romans, you got 18, Romans 8, 18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What is the glory that's to be revealed in us? It's when the new heavens and the new earth are here and everything is right, everything is just, everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. How many of you know that's coming? Do you know that's coming? Do you know that that's behind us? Do you know the world is created that way? It's behind us, it's before us, but it's not right now. But y'all, we know it's coming, and so we know there's light at the end of this tunnel. When things are made right and everything's the way they're supposed to be, that's going to happen. But in the meantime, you got the second question. What's the suffering of this present time? Now, for Paul, it was something else, and it's long gone. He's dead and gone. But for us, there are sufferings of this present time aplenty. Even in our announcement time, we've heard some sufferings of this present time. It's not how it's going to be forever. Church, we know there's an end to this, and there's a good end to this. There's a, there's a thing we're headed toward, but we're not there yet, and we have to put up with some crud until then. You've got to put up with some sufferings. You've got to put up with some stuff that won't always be here. And do you know how you do that? Next screen. 
You groan. You groan. Groaning is the God-approved, faithful way of persevering through the unpleasant times, fully well knowing something better is ahead. If you don't know something better is ahead, you won't groan. This is just how it's supposed to be. Those people who believe in evolution were all accidental. I don't know what they're crying about because this is just how life is. But for you who know we are created, God has a plan better in the past and a plan better in the future, and right now we're just having to endure the the present until then, we know this, and because of that we groan. It's this non-verbal language of groaning. You sit and you just have this guttural thing. Next, Next button. Sometimes we feel this unpleasantness so keenly we have to do something. So I want you to notice three groanings in this passage. Verse 18 beginning verse 19 beginning creation waits an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of god you see that in verse 19 verse 20 for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it you see creation god's creation was perfect and then when adam and eve sinned creation itself was punished It just receives this punishment, and we have a fallenness in our world, and creation knows that there's something better ahead, but it's waiting. It's waiting through this suffering time until it gets here. And you know how it does it? It does it through groaning. Have you ever groaned? Have you ever groaned? Having to put up with stuff until God makes everything right? You ever groaned? Well, creation groans. Creation, trees, rocks, hills, water, it all knows. It has information from God that something's ahead, but until then, it's, got to, it's just got to put up with the present suffering, so it groans. But they're not the only ones. Creation's not the only one. Once you look at verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we Christians, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. The full sonship, the Holy Spirit is a foretaste, but in the, at the end time, the Holy Spirit's going to be the entire existence of us as God's people. We've got a little taste of it now, but it's coming in fullness later. And meanwhile, we groan because we've got to put up with some stuff. We've got to put up with cancer treatments. We've got to put up with diagnosis. We've got to put up with chronic illnesses. We've got to put up with death. We've got to put up with all sorts of things, and we groan. And there are times, y'all, I think even in public, I think sometimes in this church when things are going wrong, we don't need to try to articulate what's wrong we just need to groan and that leads to the neatest observation of all in verse 26 likewise the spirit helps us in this weakness we don't know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here's the deal. The world is fallen. It's messed up. We are fallen. We're messed up. But we've been reclaimed by God and redeemed. And so we're, we know that the good things are waiting us. But in the meantime, we got some stuff we have to put up with that's heartrending. It may be our sin that we're so tired of seeing. 
It may be a fallen thing that we have to put up with the fallen world. Whatever it is, it is one of those unpleasant things, and so we groan. We don't have the words. I don't have words. Quit, quit judging your prayers by whether you have the right sounding kind of words because sometimes quite honestly nothing you say will make any sense because you don't even understand what's going on with you and so what do you do you sit on the edge of a chair and you groan you don't just let God do it but you groan and when you groan this guttural sound where you don't have words because you don't know what to say, you don't even know what to think, you don't know how to understand anything, and you groan, and when you groan, the Holy Spirit within you scans your emotions, scans what's going on in your life, and goes to God on your behalf. You didn't have to say anything. He saw it. He's inside of you. God placed him in there for moments like this, and he scans it, and he takes it straight in the presence of God and asks exactly what you need, and God responds with exactly what you need because of the Holy Spirit within you, all while you groan. What kind of God does that? For one thing, he admits that this life is going to be tough. He acknowledges it from right here. But he equips you to endure it. He gives you exactly what you need, even when you don't know what that is. And ironically, in the worst moments of your life, your sin and your affliction by fallenness in the worst moments of your life, He equips you with the greatest affirmation you need. Isn't that weird? When things are going fine, the Spirit doesn't seem to work that way necessarily. I'm sure He's doing things, but in the moments when you're prone to doubt and second-guess yourself, in those moments, He is uniquely situated to provide you exactly what you need to be affirmed. You need most when you're sinning and struggling with sin to know this doesn't disqualify me at all. And you need to know when you're experiencing sickness and illness and sorrow beyond words that in this moment when you might think, well, God's forsaken me oh no 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 he's drawing you closer closer than any other time what kind of God does this our God does our God does I'm not sure how that sounds to you to an unbeliever that has to sound really weird but I hope it sounds compelling God provides this resource that's within us and yet is beyond us. Isn't that interesting? He's within you, but he's beyond you. He is totally objective. He's outside of you and bears witness to you on the inside at any given moment that you need it to fight off sin and draw us to his loving embrace all the time. And those moments which should be frustrating and should tear you down and should draw you away from God and should absolutely just crush you are uniquely moments where he draws you close so that you know you can feel his heartbeat and hear his whisper saying, you are my child. What kind of God is this? These are not things you have to get yourself to do. Don't hear this sermon as, well, I need to pray more. 
I need to read the Bible. No, no, these are not things you have to get yourself to do. These are things the Holy Spirit does for you. No matter what. God wants you to know you're His child. He wants you to feel you're His child. He wants you without any doubt to rest in the assurance you are His child. So let me ask you, are you a child of God? Are you? Do you feel that affirmation? It's there. And if you're not, I can't think of a more compelling reason why you should be than that right there. Confess your sin. Confess your status as a sinner. Name the name of Jesus from your lips as your Savior. Be immersed in the waters of baptism. Make him king of your life. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And to bear witness to your spirit, you are his children. And if there's anyone who needs to do that, make it known now as we stand, as we sing.